While Satan is certainly capable of sheer terror, and we will see that witnessed when he's chained on the Judgment Day, the way in which he more often works is much more subtle. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. For the last 14 years, there has been an epidemic in this country of men and women returning from the battlefield in Iraq and Afghanistan. Facing post-traumatic stress disorder, problems trouble their families, problems trouble their workplaces. In fact, we have as high a rate of veterans committing suicide as we have ever had. 
Perhaps you've watched or heard the story of the American sniper Chris Kyle and the trouble he had in returning before he was horrifically gunned down by someone he was trying to help. They've said the biggest problem in returning is not simply hearing a firecracker go off and thinking it's a mortar shell. It's not simply going into a store and seeing somebody pop out and thinking it's a, an explosive device. They said the biggest problem that they have is when they come back is that everything seems normal to them. It is like we are living in a country that doesn't realize it's at war. And for people who have been in war to come back to a country that doesn't know they're at war, it is the biggest problem of them all. And I am convinced that the American church has no idea that we are spiritually at war. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. The ESV puts it this way, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In fact, the scripture reminds us that the devil, contrary to being a popular image with horns and a tail and a pitchfork walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you don't think the devil is at work in your family and in your church, you are grievously naive. Peter, when he makes a proclamation before the Lord, is responded with a rebuke from Jesus when he refers to him as Simon. Whenever Jesus calls Peter Simon, you know a rebuke is coming. He says, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. The reality of spiritual warfare. You know what our culture loves to do? We love to kind of laugh and wink at this. We love to just kind of make explanations for everything about the devil. And so we write songs about him. So the devil goes down to Georgia, or we make him into a, to a mascot for Duke, which is a good thing, by the way. Or we turn him into a cartoon where he becomes a Tasmanian devil wreaking havoc all over the place. Or we name it for the foods that have a lot of calories in it. So there's devil's cake, there's deviled eggs, there's deviled ham. We even make it into an excuse for, for the Christian to say the devil made me do it is just as good as saying the dog ate my homework. It'll get you out of most anything. It's funny. Until you commit to live for God each and every day and you have a giant target on your back and the fiery darts of the wicked are aimed at you and the ones you love. It's not so funny anymore. We have a hard time with the concept of spiritual warfare in the West. We like to talk about the Sermon on the Mount and the Golden Rule and the miracles that make for a good story. But what do you do with all the exorcisms that Jesus does in the Bible? And it's really a part of his daily routine. He wakes up, brushes his teeth, goes into town, multiplies some food, heals somebody, and casts out a demon. I mean, it's just part of his day's work and we don't know what to do with it. Can you imagine reading a bedtime story to little Johnny and saying, yes, Jesus did feed the 5,000 and then he cast out a demon of the man possessed and put it into a herd of swine and they went squealing off the cliff. Have a good night. Don't use your nightlight. 
We don't talk like that because we somehow are able to skip over that which is unfamiliar for us. I remember growing up, the old Nintendo system, some of my generation can identify, that was the first system we came out with. It had a game called Spiritual Warfare. And, and your weaponry was you were fighting against the enemies of the devil, but your weaponry was basically bananas and apples and they may have had some pineapples for special things, but the idea was you were fighting with the fruit of the Spirit. And if you wanted to defeat the devil, you had to know some Bible verses, and that would help you out. And when the devil came, he looked just like the stereotypical image. He had big fiery horns, he had a cape and all that, and you could strike him down by throwing some food from fruit and knowing a Bible verse or two. We like to make it cute. But the truth is, one of the most difficult things in ministry is living right next to the devil's slaughterhouse. I wish I could tell you that the hour or two that we put in on Sundays is the most difficult part, but it's not. I wish I could let you know what goes on behind the scenes, what's really happening for the sake of privacy we can't always tell. It's frustrating because you watch the devil start to pick off families one by one. He is as a roaring lion going after the sheep. You know that the lion, if you watch some of the National Geographic specials, what they seek to do is not go after the whole herd. They just seek to get animals away from the herd. The devil does the same thing. And you'll see families, rather than gathering into the shepherd's fold, they begin to isolate themselves. And you begin to call out after Satan and say, get away from the sheep. And yet people go into hiding. And you see him one by one start knocking off the very people that you are called to love and shepherd and serve. The devil would like nothing more to destroy you. Remember that. It's been this way from the beginning in the garden. The kingdom of darkness invades the kingdom of light. Just as Herod attempts to usurp the true king of the Jews, so the prince of the power of the air is attempting to usurp the king of the universe. And it describes in the Old Testament this battle waging where Michael the archangel is fighting against the devil and his demonic host. So much so that if we were able to pull the curtain back to what's spiritually going on behind the scenes, many of us would be terrified. It's the dragon described in Revelation attempting to destroy the woman and her child. And while Satan is certainly capable of sheer terror, and we will see that witnessed when he's chained on the judgment day, the way in which he more often works is much more subtle. And what he attempts to do is tempt us with half-truths rather than whole-truths. Did God really say? Did he really mean. And he always pays. Sin always has a payment. The devil pays, but he only pays in counterfeit money. You may think that spiritual warfare is something that goes on for those who have shields of faith and those who are actively in the battle, or maybe you think of it on the mission field or someone who's doing an apologetics conference because they're defending the faith. But truth is, most of the time, spiritual warfare lands right in your home, in your environment. And you say, how can that be? Let me give you some signs that you may be under spiritual attack. Spiritual attack. This is from, from Chuck Lawless. Consider these, unusual marital and family conflict. But when you decide to live for God, 
with your home. Don't be surprised if conflict comes your way. Marriages are a target for Satan. Recurring and undivided and uninvited temptations. So a man who's lived in purity for a decade is shocked by past images, battles won long ago that you thought were over with, come back again. Strong discouragement and defeat. One day you're on top of the world, and the next day you're really struggling. Nothing has changed except Satan's coming at you on that day. It could also occur in crippling doubt. You may have been moving in faith for some time, but you begin to hear messages like, God is never going to use you. You're not going to make a difference. What can you offer God? That's not God's voice, by the way. Team disunity. So from the Garden of Eden, Satan desires to put enmity, turn people against each other. He does that in church, does that in families. Because a house divided doesn't pose much of a threat to an enemy. Personal isolation. So under attack, some people who are even socially involved will sometimes withdraw in the battle. The problem is that Leaders who fight battles alone most often lose. You can't do this by yourself, no matter how much you think you can. He'll do this by shifting our focus. Satan has a way of turning faithful believers away from the blessings of obedience to the potential loss because of obedience. So he'll say things like, look what you have to give up. Is it really worth it? It'll happen through prayer struggles. Sometimes one who has prayed diligently in prayer finds prayer difficult as they move into the front line. But if you don't pray, you don't have any power, and the enemy knows that, and he acts upon it. He'll do this through distraction. So the Word of God is our sword that we use in, in, in the battle. We cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. But distractions that keep us out of the Word... Even doing ministry will weaken us. And there's other things you can add to this list. Sometimes we've heard the term spiritual strongholds in other countries. If you go into countries where the gospel has not been widely proclaimed and you walk into a village or a town and you begin to proclaim the gospel, often there is a sign of spiritual warfare. You can even go in other countries, and you will find a sort of halfway Christian faith mixed in with a, a, a mysticism, and so there's a lot of superstition that comes with it, and it's really hard to break through that because local leaders will use that religion and that superstition and turn it against people of faith. Strongholds elsewhere, but there are also strongholds in our own country, are there not? Isn't it something that we place more value on the care and treatment of animals than we do human beings. God help us some days. Isn't it something that the greatest threat in the history of this country we still haven't overcome because we still judge people based on their skin color? Satan gets all the victory out of that. We've moved from a society where it used to be that we had to gather together our food. When Jesus says the Sermon on the Mount, give us this day our daily bread, he's talking to people who don't know where their food's coming from at the end of the day. So much of life is about subsistence. Much of life is following the seasons and the patterns of the animals so that they can require food and acquire it for their family. But now most of us don't have this trouble. We live with more productivity and more produce than any other nation in the history of the world, just go into Walmart after the service. If you're from another country, a third world country, and you see what we've got across the river, you see what we've got up at Bill's, they cry. 
because they've never seen that much food together in their lives. And neither is most of the history of the world. And so now we've got plenty and we fill our lives with distractions. We fill it with leisure and vacations and toys in the garage and in the barn that we really don't need. We've got so much stuff, we just put it away in storage sheds. We're one of the only countries in the world that we've got so much stuff that we have to build buildings to store our stuff when most people are struggling just to have a roof over their heads. You think Satan's not working? Oh my goodness. We have it in our own country, but we also have it in our own lives, and it will come in very subtle ways. It will come when your spouse does something you don't like, and you say, I wish I wasn't in this marriage. This person really isn't worthy of my time and my attention. It'll come when a boss does something to displease you, and you say, you know what, I'm not going to do my best at work today. They really don't deserve my talents. It'll come when you try to live vicariously through your kid. And so maybe you didn't get all these experiences, but you're going to make sure your kid has all the experiences, even if they don't particularly want them. So you project your hopes and dreams on a child who may have something different. Spiritual strongholds in our lives. How many of us today are struggling with pornography? How many of us today are contacting people who are not our spouses? How many of us today struggle with just being honest? We forget about lying to other people. We lie to ourselves. And here's one of Satan's most successful PR campaigns. He's really good at this. He has convinced half the world that he isn't real. And he's done a good job of that. And those who believe that maybe he is real just believe a caricature of him. He doesn't come as a creature of darkness. He comes as an angel of light, and he knows the weakest part about you, and that is exactly where he will attack. He knows the kinks in your armor. He knows the spots in your schedule. And if you are not constantly seeking after the Lord, you are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Not against flesh and blood. So we spend time fighting one another when our enemy is outside the walls. And think about this. If you are honestly trying to serve the Lord, if you're giving your whole heart to be all in for Christ, why wouldn't you think that all of hell would oppose you? See, Satan doesn't care about halfway Christians. They don't bother him. They're, they're helping people go to hell, not heaven. He doesn't care about what's going on in the world. You don't go after what you've already conquered. But he cares a good deal about people trying to live for God in the church. He'll come at you with everything he's got. There is an unseen spiritual battle raging right now behind the scenes. We know that if God is planning a new society, he's making all things new, then Satan and his demons will do everything they can to usurp and destroy it. And in this war that we face right now, we must have the armor of God. We're going to talk about that in a couple of Sundays, how we have that. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about why all this warfare is raging in the first place. But how many soldiers go out unarmed for battle? What kind of country sends soldiers out unequipped? What kind of church does the same thing? Because believers do it all the time. 
We know that our enemies are not human, they are demonic, they are powerful, they are rulers, they are creatures of darkness disguised as angels of light. And what we need more than anything else in this world is we must have God's strength to be victorious. Just as David strengthens himself in the Lord, so must we daily strengthen ourselves in Christ because Christians without foundations and relationships are easy targets for the devil. The saints' sleeping time is the devil's tempting time, one person said. And one of the things that we cannot do is we must not sacrifice our integrity to fight against his wiles because you will never, ever beat the devil at his own game. You won't beat him with darkness. You will only go against him in the marvelous light of Christ. And so we have to live with truth. We have to live with righteousness. And Paul will remind us later that the two chief weapons that we have in this fight are the Word of God and prayer. And friends, if we are not daily in the Word, if we are not daily in prayer, we are susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. I want to recommend, if you haven't read it before, to read Pilgrim's Progress. It's John Bunyan's greatest work written over 400 years ago. At one point, it was the most widely read book apart from the Bible in history, but it details the journey of Christian and it really outlines the spiritual warfare that Christian faces along the way to the celestial city, which is Bunyan's symbolism for heaven. And he talks about going through the doubt of despair. He talks about going through Doubting Castle and confronting the giant of despair, the slaw of despond, friends forsaking him, all the attacks of the enemy, and the whole way Christian is learning how to use his armor. But he never makes it to another point without receiving encouragement from others. He's got friends who help him along the way. And that's the way it must be for believers. Because we know one thing that is true. We are helpless against the principalities and powers, but they are helpless against us with our prayers. Because the Bible tells us that at the name of Jesus Christ the righteous, the devil and all his demons scream and tremble with fear. That is, when the church gets here and we don't sing half-hearted and we don't sing just at the songs that we don't like and we sing only at the songs that we like, but we say, I'm going to sing to the glory of God and praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords for who he is. The Bible says that hell shakes with fear when we do that, that when the church gathers together as the body of Christ, we are declaring war against Satan and all of his demons. And so you and I must band together. And the scripture reminds us that we are not passive in this fight. We have to fight the good fight of faith. We have to resist the devil and he will flee from us. We have to flee youthful lust. We have to be people who recognize that anything in God's control is never out of control. That devil may walk on a, as a lion roaring about, but he's a lion on a leash. His time is coming. And Job will say, after all the satanic attacks, though he slay me, yet still I will honor him. I'm going to tell you, I'm not recommending that we go out and have an exorcism at the end of the service. Some of you want to practice that at the end of the invitation, you're welcome to. I bet that'd be interesting. But I would say this. We've got to be together. We've got to be unified. And we sure can't become isolated because we know what lions do to herds. 
The way to thwart the devil, I like what John Piper says here, the way to thwart, thwart the devil is to strengthen the very thing he is most trying to destroy, your faith. So you've got to realize there's a war going on. There's a battle, and he's coming after families. He's coming after people, and he's coming after churches. And a lot of times it looks like he's winning from the outside. He may be winning the battle, but he won't win the war. And you and I have to be prepared to fight. One person wrote, as in all warfare, the two essential elements in victory are knowing your enemy and knowing your resources. We better respect our enemy, but we better far more know the resources that God has given to us. And the most important thing we can have out of all of this is a desperate dependence upon the Lord. This is what Spurgeon says. You are engaged in a work so spiritual, so far above all human power, that to forget the Spirit is to ensure defeat. If I say this once during sermons here, I will say it a thousand times until no one will hear it anymore. You cannot live the Christian life alone. You're not made to do that. You cannot isolate yourself from the body of Christ. You have to be in community. And whether that's a relationship with one another, whether that's a Sunday school class, whether that's a small group, whatever that looks like for you, don't do life by yourself. And if you are doing life by yourself, please come, tell us. We'll help you to find someone who will care for you and be there for you. Because the scripture reminds us, not just in the context of church discipline, but in the context of everything, that where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, there he is among them. And when Satan sees the name of Jesus, when he sees the presence of Christ, when he knows the power of Christ, he trembles with fear and he leaves. And so you and I must recognize who we fight against. And we must realize what God has given us. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.